What is this, anyway? Some kind of goddamn comic book? Yes, it is Keith David. This is a comic book because you're listening to the Omnibus because we're all about comic books and comic book adjacent things. You know what I'm saying? I think I think most of our audience will know, but maybe not all of them. I mean, not all of them, but I got to remind them because I, I recently looked up and there was like three other things with the word Omnibus in it. I don't want them to get confused because <laughs> it was like the omnibus project uh the omnibus read or some the omnibus but some some something i don't know i was gonna say but that's that's a terrible word it's not crap you know you have your audience i respect you um and your agency but the idea is like all of it's all different things like we're talking about comics they're talking about um politics in one and then the other one is talking about um i think the tech space or something i don't i don't know i, I was just i was I mean, doing a quick it, look so it's, it's tech the less said about tech people in tech industry the better i i absolutely agree right speaking about tech right Ooh, look at that quick segue is he we getting better with this yeah all right so in talking about tech right we're going to be talking about a very prolific book uh that was released in 2016 and it won an eisner uh yes, we're talking- we have our first eisner winner on the podcast yes yeah, he's subject to our scrutiny. <laughs> I mean, they already won the accolades, but we're just here to nitpick the hell out of it. All right. And we're talking about uh, Tom King's The Vision. Or is it is it The Visions or just The Vision by Tom King and art by Gabri- Gabriel Hernandez Walter, who I believe is a Spanish artist. Um, yeah. yeah, when I say Spanish, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if he's from Spain or from Latin America. Many readers know. Uh, feel free to well, don't at me, but feel free to let us know uh, if we if we correct. Colorist Jordi Belair, very important to credit. I think the colors do a lot of work. Yes. In this comic, and another thing I want to credit is the the cover artist uh, Mike Del Mundo, who did mm. the cover for pretty much all of them except for issues five and six. Yeah, that's uh, um, Marco Alonso. Like he's a a very very dope uh, illustrator. He's done interior works for Weird World and uh, Thor. Dark, Dark Avengers. For Dark a Avengers, bit. yeah. So like very very dope style. Um and uh, the Electra. It's Electra comic is also. I think, yes. I think that's the Electra one, uh, particularly the scene where she's like doing ballet stuff, but like killing ninjas at the same time. Very beautiful illustration. Okay. And then the letterist, uh, Clayton Cowell, because okay. we have to talk about the letters, because the visions, right, the synthes, synth, what is it called? Synthesoid humans. Yeah. yeah, they they speak in a whole different speech bubble. All right. Uh, before we get started talking on the book, right, normally we go through issue by issue and we realize for the sake of time, energy, and just like, you know, this this is and not a lecture. Also- Especially to also ease up the work on our poor sound editor. Oh, yes. Uh, that's to carry the work. Yes. Very handsome guy, I'm told, as well. Yes, uh, he's, looking, he's looking for a, a crazy a crazy rich person. Oh, oh <laughs> all right. Yeah, for those who don't know, I edit this. I, I, this is literally a two-man operation. I do all the editing. 
but yeah, yeah we're, we're we're gonna we're not we're not gonna talk issue by issue anymore uh it makes just it makes us a little too long this also will be for fyi for this will be our first episode while the after the podcast is already launched so there we go congrats congrats to us woo I should I should try to find like a an applause sound effect. I I agree. Like this <laughs> really like it's like a yay or something. Yeah, really. Yeah, I, I could find some time to look for one. But yeah, we're gonna talk about <laughs> kind of the so the broad strokes. We'll do some close reads of certain scenes, but we're talking about mainly the broad strokes of the vision. Right. Uh, and mainly because when you talk about Tom King's division, this is this is the book that kind of launched his career. Or really, yeah, really put him on the map. He yeah. had done he had done uh, Grayson, I believe, for DC before then, but this is the one that really put him on the map. Was it? Because uh, I thought yeah. this was first, and then came Grayson. No, Grayson came first, I believe. Okay, so it was this, so it was Grayson, then this, and then he went back to DC to do like Mr. Miracle, yeah, Strange yeah. Adventures, Batman, Omega yeah, Man. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure that was an exclusive contract at that point. Uh, well, we bring it up. It's really to talk about kind of some broad strokes, some broad themes, because Tom King, as a writer who has a lot of uh, overarching, he hits a lot of the same themes and character beats and all his works. It'd be interesting to talk about that because next week or next episode, I should say. Yes. Uh, we'll be tackling his Mr. Miracle. Very similar, but very different in many ways. But So let's get some background on Tom King first. Uh, I think it's kind of important to know before we get into the book. So Tom King, for those you don't know, is actually a former CIA operative. Uh, he, he interned in Marvel and DC, and then after 9-11, he joined up with the CIA's counterterrorism divi- division. You, and it sounds like something out of a comic book, right? A yeah, comic it writer. It sounds like a comic book writer becomes a counter terrorist, you know, Jack Bauer type. Uh, but then, you know, did some stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan. I say some stuff because we, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we no don't idea. know. We yeah. don't know. He wasn't just like a test analyst. He, he had he clearly had to do some. And a lot of his books are very clearly influenced by his time in the CIA and overseas and dealing with like kind of you know, personal traumas and readjustment to life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the vision focuses on that latter theme, particularly. You can read about, like, in his attempt, the vision, and it's his attempt to create a normal suburban life. It can be read into, like, how, like, military veterans or CIA operatives could have issues readjusting to, like, a normal domestic life after seeing intense action, which is something that pops up in this book of the vision. Uh, thing that constantly gets brought up is that he saved the world 37 times. Right. Which is, I mean, of course, in comic book standards is way more than that. But like we even through the narrative of the book, uh, the uh, vision mentions that these are the only 37 times that he remembers saving the world like very vividly. So like, you know, fighting Ultron, fighting uh, Kang, the Conqueror, fighting Jocasta. Fighting uh, Thanos, fighting Ultron. He, he fights Ultron. He fights Ultron a lot, like a lot, a lot, which is, I mean, makes sense when you're a homicidal AI bent on destroying the world. Um, I think at this point now, I don't even know what Ultron's motives are in the first place, to be honest. I, I think probably half the people who write Ultron don't know either. Yeah, like I, I tend to forget. But, um, but yes, uh, in talking about Tom King's uh prolific work, right? Because a lot of 
his work has earned him Eisner awards, right? He's earned an Eisner for the visions. He's earned an Eisner for Mr. Miracle. He earned an Eisner for Batman. And, uh, I believe he might've earned one for Omega men. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, I think probably nominated at least. Probably not, probably nominated. Right. But I mean, this, this is, this is a man who's very, very skilled at writing superhero books, right? Because, if you read his work, right, you can clearly see that he is someone who likes to take the superhero genre and, and subvert it to more like of an existential crisis. Where it's like, how do we take this hero, right, show them broken, and how do they rebuild themselves from the ground up, right? Which is clearly seen in the his Batman, uh, his Batman series, right, that he wrote. Yeah, and kind um, of the the overarching theme of that one is can Batman be happy? Right, can Batman be happy? But then also for like these this book, uh, Sheriff of Babylon, which was a creator owned book he did with Mitch uh, Gerard and stuff like that. Right, we tend to see a very deep psychological examination of the main characters and how they interact in the world around them. Right, and it's just so befitting that the idea of the vision is focused on, you know, an android, right? Someone who's trying to become human or not become human, but try and understand, you know, the human process and how can, how can they go, go about uh, life in creating a sense of normalcy, right? When they themselves are not normal. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, before we begin, let's give a quick summary of the premise and the events of the vision. Okay. Uh, so for, you know, for those who don't know, Right somehow, from a, somehow a, after, from a book somehow. that's four years old. Book <laughs> that's four years old and a character that's shown up in you know billion dollar movies, Age of Ultron, Civil War, uh, uh, Infinity, Infinity War, Infinity War, Endgame, Endgame. Well, and no, he doesn't show up in Endgame. Oh wait, uh, no, he did. He doesn't show up in Endgame. Yeah, yeah, and it will be. He's having. His, he has his own show. His with, own show. Yeah, WandaVision. WandaVision. So for those who don't know, the Vision is a member of the Avengers. Uh, created by Ultron initially to destroy the Avengers, but he, you know, rebelled against his creator, became a genuine superhero, had a tempestuous relationship, marriage to Scarlet Witch. I say tempestuous because, you know, she kind of lost lost control of her powers at one point. Uh, right. let's, you don't want to get bogged down in the continuity because it gets a little, it's very convoluted. Which uh, I mean, which I'm going to talk about because technically, because Scarlet Witch back then used to be a mutant at well, at some point used to be a mutant, and like we're gonna we're gonna talk all about that fun stuff. Yeah, but but, please but so so the Vision, you know, Avenger, Android superhero, was formerly married, and in this book, you can see he's a kind of attempting to recreate that kind of happy marriage state by literally making his own family. Right. He makes his own synthesoid family. He has a wife, uh, teenage daughter, teenage son, uh, Virginia, Vivian, and and Vince. Vince, yeah, Vince, Vincent, I think, or Vin, uh, who very obvious. They don't look like like they're dressed in like normal clothes. They have a normal looking house, but they're obviously like their skin is red. They're clearly android. They have green hair. They right. have a little. They have a mailbox that floats, which I really like. <laughs> Um, and uh and they they automatically have their powers and their powers are the same powers that vision has so like you know intangibility flight super strength shooting lasers out shooting of their lasers foreheads. out of their foreheads and right. what's remarkable about the book the vision that it's very little super heroics actually happen uh most of it is off panel 
it's really, I would call it more like a psychological horror book because, um, right quick summary, uh, very early on, the Grim Reaper, who's a very obscure villain. Yes. Uh, but he's I a part of their family. He's part of, he's technically part, he would be technically their uncle, I think. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, so, so important please backstory continue, continue the, the, the important yeah. backstory on the vision. Uh, luckily, the book is so well written, you don't need to know any of the convoluted continuity. That is but true. He's based, he's based off the brain patterns of a, a, a former Avenger, Wonder Man. Uh, and the Green Reaper is the brother of Wonder Man, who became a supervillain. Right. Uh, he comes in while the vision is away. He comes in and assaults uh, his household, his wife and kids, because he sees them as a, a mockery of, of the family he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And in the process of defending her, her daughter, her family, uh, his wife, Virginia accidentally kills him, and then tries to cover up the cover covers up the the murder. She buries him in his yard. The vision is none the wiser. Some neighbor, some neighbors who are already suspicious of the vision family because they don't like android superheroes in their neighborhood, uh, <laughs> tries to blackmail her into leaving. She kills. She she accident- no, he, she he accidentally kills the the guy who was blackmailing her son right yeah. which is her daughter's he, lab partner he, yeah he accidentally shoots his son because she turns intangible when he pulls out his gun and uh, uh ends up knocking him into a coma he can never wake up from so he doesn't tell the truth yeah but it just kind of spirals. everything just kind of spirals downwards from there right. uh, the avengers kind of notice there's something is amiss and this is what we'll get into there's like a narration it's like a future narrator who's recounting this tale to the Avengers. We'll get into that in a second. Mm. They send in Victor Mancha from the Runaway. Yes. Uh, um, who is also the the Vision's brother, because he was also he an was, android created by Ultron. Also, yeah, also created by Ultron. He's, their, he's Vision's brother, uncle to the kids. He's sent <laughs> in there to infiltrate the family and try to see what's going on and hopefully resolve it peacefully. Right. Uh, but he gets discovered by the Vision's son. Uh, Which he ends up inadvertently killing him with his electromagnetic powers because yeah. uh, he tries to calm him down but in calling his father, but he uses too much force and he's unable to control it, which I'm going to get into more talking about that because of uh, Victor Mancha's problem. And yeah, he yeah. ends up killing Vin. Yeah, and so that Victor Mancha is sent to jail, or he kind of submits himself to jail, and then yes. that leads the vision to like, go off, like, I'm going to go kill the killer of my son and the Avengers try to stop him, which is really the only superhero fight superhero we see. Fight. Yeah. And it's actually like again, Tom he's turning on his head because normally people are like, Yeah, superhero they want they love to see superheroes fight each other for some reason. They're like it's actually not cool at all because you know he's going the yeah, division who's going out to murder someone. Right. And all the Avengers are to stop him. Not just like not just murder somebody, but to murder his brother. So I guess that's more like uh what is that? Patricide? Patricide, yeah. And then, you know, it has a bittersweet ending because then you know, we reveal that like Virginia she she stops the vision from killing Victor Mancha by killing Victor Mancha herself. Herself. And then she commits suicide. I mean it's a beautiful way. If I say it right now, it sounds ridiculous to anyone who hasn't read the comments. But uh say you know, she confesses to her crimes, saves the vision reputation. Uh, bittersweet note that the vision is left, you know, half his family is gone. His daughter lives on, uh, but his reputation as a hero intact. And yeah, bitter, bittersweet note. You see, he's rebuilding. A fat, he's rebuilding one of his his, yeah, he's rebuilding his wife because uh, during the course of the story, Virginia learns to play the piano, and her favorite song to play is uh, "Row, Row, Row Your Boat." 
So as Vision at the end of the book is rebuilding this uh, android body, he's singing the same song that Virginia would sing, implying that he's recreating his wife. Yeah. So the uh, point, and that was a. Uh... I, I realize that how how ridiculous the, the plot sounds when you just arise it. Uh, you miss you miss a lot of like the nuances and the incredible character building. But yeah. the point I'm making is that this is not like your typical superhero book. This is more like a domestic suburban drama slash like psychological, yeah, you know, murder cover up thriller. And it's all the better for it. I think it's uh you know there's a reason why I wanted Eisner and why Tom King's Mr. Bigger wanted Eisner that they are not your typical beat-em-up superhero books. Yeah, so something I want to bring up is that this is something Tom King has talked about. This is, he considers the vision part of his, what he calls the trilogy of best intentions. Mm-hmm. He has this book, Omega Man and Sheriff of Babylon. Um, those two books I have not read. I uh, should, full disclosure, have you, I'm assuming you've read one of them, right? So, I've read, uh, I own Sheriff of Babylon okay. and I've started to read Omega Man. Okay, so he, he refers to those three books as a trilogy of good intentions because they have very similar themes, mm-hmm. uh, kind of similar premises among those. Uh, let me see. Like, the summer gets kicked off, and there's like a murder that, that gets covered up. Right. We have a hero who gets, who's corruptible. Yeah. Uh, despite having good intentions, you know, they, they kind of and are complicit in that. You have a major female character kind of behind the male hero. Uh, usually the male hero is like is very not the typical masculine superhero. He's actually spends a lot of time sulking, <laughs> being very introspective. Yeah, it's the kind of female character that's uh, very proactive. In this case, the vision it would be is what is android wife Virginia. Uh-huh. Uh, and normancy, like like a lot of trying to be normal is a very important thing. Other important things in these three, there's like very psychological, very introspective. Uh, the idea of a wounded warrior. Right, yeah, this hero or soldier or whatever, uh, dealing with some kind of trauma, you know, misplaced heroism, right? They try to, like I said, good attentions, they're trying to do good, but leads to disastrous results. Uh, structurally, there's a lot of like fractured time, right? There's a lot of, it's not a fully it's, linear narrative. Right, because we tend to go forward in time, we go back in time. There's a lot of uh, traveling going on, like to yeah. try and figure out where it all fits in the narrative. Kind of similar to uh, Prince of Cats, when we talked about it in the first episode, how that all happened within the span of a week, but just through different perspectives. Yep, and it could be something like as complex with like multiple timelines. It could also be something as simple as just like a character constantly flashing back to like their traumas or com- uh, constantly revisiting their past. You see it a little bit more also in the vision because he's an android, so he can literally recall different things with perfect memory. Right. And then lastly, all these conflicts are solved not through you know, beat em ups or punching a supervillain, but like they just have to learn to let go. Right, which is uh, when you when you uh, mentioned like the idea of what's going on within and seeing this next to Sheriff of Babylon, I was like, wow, that's, that's a lot of similarities. So what's the um, premise of Sheriff of Babylon? Cause I haven't read it and I'm sure there's probably some readers who haven't read it. So Sheriff of Babylon uh, is literally right after the war in Iraq. So we follow this uh, former LA cop who becomes the drill sergeant of the Iraqi military and trying to whip them into shape. And he ends up 
discovering a dead body of a former cadet that he was training on the grounds of the military base. So it's him, a former Iraqi detective, and uh, a woman who is now a part of the Iraqi uh, government and trying to like you know stabilize the and trying to stabilize the country all come together and realize this is a much bigger conspiracy than what they thought. Um, very very good book. Uh, very well drawn, well written. Uh, Mr. Ard, fantastic artist. So I I highly recommend it. And I think it's kind of very fascinating that Tom King chooses to focus on trauma and superhero books because that's something I guess part of his deconstruction of it. That's something that seems kind of obvious, right? Like right. The, like like literally, you know, all these characters, especially in the Marvel universe, they deal with world shattering, literally world shattering events. They they are on life and death on a scale that even like first responders don't see uh and yeah except, except for night nurse <laughs> except for night nurse that's true uh but like uh it always gets glossed over right because we just there's no way you know it's a superhero book right we just like all right woo you're fighting kang you're fighting thanos or fighting magneto etc cetera, etc cetera. right and tom king i think because of his background i think it's very clearly the way he, when he writes stories it's a way of him processing his own uh anxieties and experiences and traumas naturally because i mean that's what creates good storytelling right is the idea of writing what you know and his time as being a you know a, a cia uh counter what is it counter-terrorative operative counter counter terrorist <laughs> right like that like that has to like open up a whole slew of you know different types of stories you want to tell um yeah. And particularly that's I think that's why Sheriff of Babylon is so successful with uh the story of the subject matter that it's telling in the first place mm-hmm. is because he lived the fun. experience. Yeah, I think it's also kind of curious you compare that to like what we talked about last time, the Ultimates, which is also deconstructing superheroes, but it's far far more cynical. Uh, it's really just showing these characters as kind of very troubled, maybe even terrible people. Right. Uh, we're given powers. Tom King is not as cynical. I think he, he's, he's, these characters are far more sympathetic in that they have, like, these are, they're essentially good, like you said, they're essentially good people, the Vision especially, who just suffered some kind of thing and they can't let go, right? So kind of the key to understanding the conflict in the Vision and his desire to have a family is that he's not over the, the loss of his first love, his first marriage, Scarlet Witch, uh, because she, you know, lost her powers, I think. Her powers without control that she died. No, it's, it's, it's really not important what happened to her. You just know that the loss is important. I mean, it kind of is because it does, like, sets up some narrative, uh, what's it called, benchmarks in within the story. Yeah, because... well, that's true because he he bases his wife's brain patterns off. Off Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Exactly. Because, like, the idea of uh, Scarlet Witch, right? Because... Uh, I like to think of it as like the Scarlet Witch dilemma, right? Where Scarlet Witch was like this young, naive girl who was a mutant, had the ability to like, you know, uh, what was it to change, to change the uh, probability, yeah, right? Because yeah. she's using chaos and then, magic. And then later, later, later became chaos magic. Right. And then from there went on to like re- being able to reshape reality, right? She, she and Vision had, uh, had a marriage, they got married and yeah, kids. She, well, magically yeah. conjured kids out of yeah. nowhere right yeah. that, well not just magically conjured kids out of nowhere she magically conjured kids out of nowhere with souls she stole from the devil literally like yeah. crazy and then they die 
around. then they die. And then, like, from there, she just has a complete mental breakdown where she uh, she kills the Vision, right? First and foremost, she kills the Vision, yeah. des- and, destroys and half the Avengers. Yeah. And... And then we get the House of M uh, event, right? Marvel Marvel event presents House of M where uh, mutants become the homo superior, right? They're the leading race on Earth, which turns out it was all Quicksilver telling his sister to, to make every, try and make everyone happy. And then she, she wipes out like 98% of mutants. No, yeah, she wipes right. out 98% of mutants, only leaving 198 left, right? And from there, it's like Scarlet Witch is like the most hated person in the world. Like humans don't like her, mutants don't like her, and it's just terrible. I mean, well, now she's not a a mutant anymore. She is a human that has been. Yeah, uh, let's 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 not go. That's just clearly an influence from the movie, uh, and and their whole the whole corporate politics of Fox owning the X-Men. We don't need to get into that. Yeah, uh, okay, all right, fine. So, well, she's not immune anymore, but nonetheless, though, like, they... For they now, for now, for now. I just say she's not immune for now. For now, right? <laughs> Which is kind of weird, because, you know, Quicksilver looks exactly like Magneto, but whatever. Um, But just that idea of, like, you know, she being this hated person, right? And then now, right, you have this android whose brain pattern is based off of said Scarlet Witch, right? So now because of the things that happened in Scarlet Witch's life, right, which was, I mean, clearly before all of this happened, right? But at the same time, this idea of destiny exists within, right, these characters, right? Victor Mancha was destined to become this hero named Victorious, and once he becomes Victorious, becomes an Avenger, is supposed to take down the Avengers, right? Uh, Vision was supposed to kill Victor Mancha and become literally the scourge that destroys the earth right that didn't happen uh virginia was able to save the world so because of what happened in scarlet witch's life or at least what was going to happen in scarlet witch's life was that destined to happen to virginia in some sort of determined fate where like the pressure of trying to maintain that normalcy was going to come arised Right, because like killing Grim Reaper was one thing, but then once that happened, it started to spiral out of control because she starts to repeat herself. She gets framed and she tries to take justice into her own hands rather than tell Vision, who's an Avenger, right? Things of that nature. So, like, you know, those eggs were already there. It's just a matter, it was just a matter of when were they going to hatch. And like I said, it sounds kind of silly when we explain the whole backstory of Scarlet Witch, <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, I think it's it's a testament to Tom King's skill and some of the better writers who can make really compelling narratives out of like the convoluted kind of silly history of some of these characters. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, he, there's some there's yeah there's some very dark stuff that happens in this comic. Not only with the you know, murder and covering up the murder, but even just uh, the normal living of them. Like they're they get vandalized. Their house gets vandalized by some kids who call them. Uh, Socket lovers. Socket lovers. Yeah, which to, is as much as they had to look up, they had to look up a slur for yeah. the robots. Which <laughs> is which is pretty funny, but I mean also that too, right? Because uh another thing I want to mention is the human nature of everything that's going on within this book, right? Because again, our main characters are androids, right? But then we have two teenagers, Vin and Vin, who are programmed to act like sixteen year olds. And they go to high school in order to learn uh, how to be better human kids as well as history and stuff 
And after the attack that Grim Reaper did where he injures Viv because he's able to stab her like straight through the gut, um, Finn is able to go to school the next day and her, his lab partner, her, I mean, well, sorry, her lab partner approaches him and like he's berating, berating her with questions about where she is. And we, the audience, are able to see how traumatized he is because he still hasn't gone over the fact of this uh, event. Yeah, but, but from the but from the her the kid's perspective, the lab artist perspective, he's just acting weird. And just not, acting and weird kind of, and being kind of rude by not answering his questions. Right. So then from there, right, because of the threatening tone in the kid's voice, Vin automatically grabs him and holds him up by his neck, and everyone in the cafeteria is able to see this. And the narration to go along with this scene. It's talking about how Vin and Viv like sat there and read human anatomy books, right? To better understand humans. And it's crazy to think that in Vin's mind, humans have an off switch, which is literally to make them pass out by, you know, holding their neck long enough. And like just little things like that I just find fascinating in terms of uh the de- like just little minute details that, you know, Tom King was able to spring onto this book. Yeah, there's a lot of things where they, they go through the motions of, like, living, like, normal humans in suburban life, but it's it's kind of off because they're androids. Like, they have, like, they don't need to sleep, right? But they do because it's, like, it allows, they just, it allows them to process data. They call it sleep. Uh, my favorite is when they go to, they go out for dinner with Victor Mancha, but because they're androids, they don't actually eat. They just sure. sit there and talk, and they tell the waitress, just give them a bill for the amount of time they've been sitting there. No, like you read that look. If you look at that again, it says like "bill me for what we ordered," but just don't oh, bring ordered. it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's even 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 better. So, like I said, also they have, they have like the. I think it's kind of perfect. So let's do a, let's do a quick closer. You're talking about it broad Let's do the closer at the very first scene. Okay. Opening uh, opening the book. It's like it starts with a very conventional, uh, almost cliche beginning, right? Like a, a family moves into a neighborhood. Their neighbors come welcome them with cookies. Uh, literally like a tray of cookies. Uh, but like right away, you see things are off, right? The mailbox in front of the house is floating. You see this, you know, the family of the Visions family are dressed normally, but they're they're red skin and green hair. Ace introduces them to all the furniture in their house, but they look normal. Like there's a piano, there's a vase and whatnot, a plant, but they're all there's they're all like fantastic. All different corners in the Marvel universe, like the pianos from Wakanda made of vibranium. Right. The, the, the boss is from Zen Law, which is the home planet of the surfer. It's literally floating. Right. Uh, you have a, a lighter from 1943 that was given to them from Captain America. And this uh, very strange plant called the Ever Blossom, which was a gift from uh, Agatha Harkins, which is uh, Scarlet Witch's uh, mentor. Yeah, and it's from from Mount Wondergar, which is like the mysterious Eastern European nation that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are from. So like right away, like giving them a tour of the house and it's just automatically like, this is not your typical suburban family. Uh, And something I really enjoy is that once the couple leaves, the the wife just throws out the cookies. Yes. Of course, they're they're androids, why would they need to eat? And something I like to point out and that and this is a testament to uh, Gabriel Gabriel Walters. skill. We talk a lot about Tom King is you know, his storytelling abilities, but the Walta does a lot of heavy lifting as well. Like this first opening scene, the couple 
they're always framed very close together, the normal couple. Like, they're even, like, physically close together. Uh, they're never apart. But the Vision and his wife, there's always some kind of distance between them. Like, the opening scene, his family is behind the Vision, not with them. Even when Virginia is talking with the Vision, there's there's some distance between them. She's, like, there's distance between them. She's behind them. Uh, even when they finally are kind of close to each other, they, they hold hands together. There's still like a decent amount of distance between them. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like these these are androids. They look they kind of look human. They sound human. They're doing their best to mimic behavior, but they don't quite get all the nuances. They don't have quite have all the the warmth and feeling of it. So there's just something kind of off, just constantly being repeated through the book. And we can see even more like the kids are kind of roughhousing with each other, normal teenage behavior, but they're roughhousing and they're, they're android. uh which i find amusing because uh this is just regular you know regular things but just like what if they were just you know super powered or androids or something yeah and 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 that gets taken to a more horrifying element as 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 they escalate in the book like virginia actually kills grim reaper but even the high school right like the kid gets the principal is very concerned right the fact that he threatened this kid who he, his neck could easily break and he calls them like calls them guns. guns. Yeah. They're basically guns because they're made of metal and need to be registered. Um, which is like, uh, it brought to me, so here's just a conundrum. So Phil, like we live in the Marvel universe, right? We live yeah. in the Marvel universe and we have, this is a world where mutants and humans and aliens and androids walk around and, you know, would you would you want would you be okay with like an android kid walking around your school unchecked? Uh, that's a very good question. That's a, that's a very good question because uh, huh? Well, I was talking about this with some of my friends hypothetically. We were discussing uh, we were having a fun discussion about like uh, if if the Democratic primary candidates existed in the Marvel universe and like they would need to have a stance on mutants naturally. Of course. <laughs> right. And they were, they were just having fun, like, having some fun figuring out who would who would stand for who. Right. Uh, what I'm very proud of is that, uh, come on, Joe Biden would have been advocating for Sentinels in the 70s. <laughs> 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 and now, he turns around, now he turns around saying, oh, I've always been for mutant rights. Uh, uh. But but they bring up the point that, like, if mutants actually existed in real life, right, because... Treated, and we bring it up because, like, the androids are, are treated, like, very similar to how minorities are treated now. Right. right? And they're discriminated, like, you know, gay people or transgender people. But the difference between mutants and gay and transgender people is that mutants can literally actually threaten people. <laughs> they're literally, they are, they can't yeah, actually they can be threaten dangerous. people with their powers. Yeah. So, um, like, if, imagine if, like, you know, some guy walked by and, you know, literally melted, burned down your house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, would you, would you, would you want him to be registered? Yeah. I don't know. That's the thing. At the same time, I mean, like, all, not all, you know, some units are, you know, they can't control it. It's not their fault. It's, so it's not. It's a right? very interesting, it's a very interesting conundrum. It is because the idea is like, you know, because the uh, what mutant powers activate when they hit puberty, right? That's the yeah. idea, and like puberty is an awkward phase, and you you don't control it. You this is just something that happens to you. It's very similar to uh that what's it called Charles Brunsberg, right? Uh, Black hole. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think that has more to do with AIDS. Yeah, they're more like STDs. STDs. Yeah. But uh, let's the same thing with this. Like, the, the Vision's teenage son, you know, he's got all the turmoil of a teenage 
you know, teenager in today's era, but he can shoot lasers out of his forehead. He can shoot lasers from his forehead. He's got super strength. He can face. Right. And uh, what's it called? Another thing I find uh, very interesting in this book is when Victor Mancha does show up, right? Uh, because we just we just see it as oh snap another family member appears and yeah. he's just being or really or, or if you're a you know you're a super, if you're a longtime Marvel fan it's like oh man it's the one of the Runaways you know right and, and he, he talks about like his his history with like the Runaways and they he and the Vision were part of like an Avengers team yeah <laughs> so. Avengers Avengers AI <laughs> so yeah it's like they show up the Vision it seems like oh yeah you know we're gonna just gonna see more of the family now the uncle and then. Uh, as it turns out, not only is he there as a as an agent of the Avengers to try to figure out what's going on without making it worse, mm-hmm. but he also uh, this is an invention of Tom King. He has like a, a vibranium addiction. Yes, that was another see that was the thing I wanted to mention was that Victor Mancha's vibranium addiction, right? Because uh, Victor Mon- Victor Mancha, Vision, right? They're brothers uh, created by Ultron, but who is an evil android, but decided to use their powers for good, essentially. And this guy who is also like you really think about him as war veterans, right? They've gone through different types of ways of saving the world, right? Victor Mancha saved the world with not only the Avengers, but also with the Runaways. Um, I'm pretty sure at one point he was a part of the Avengers Academy or something. I, I don't know. Um, but just this idea of him using his powers and he needs a release from it. So... In order to get that release, he discovered vibranium from his friend from the Runaways, and and was able to get addicted to that, to the point where he had stolen Claw's uh Claw's cannon, vibranium cannon. Uh, cannon, yeah. Yeah, and like he, after a week, it just ran out of vibranium. It ran out of power, and he just sat there for as long as he could because he couldn't do anything because he he needed it to function. Which uh, brings back the idea of, like, you know, when soldiers come back from war, right, they can go one or two ways. They can, you know, somehow find a way to readjust their life and become a part of society, or they end up falling into addiction, which which I've seen. Because I know some of my friends who've gone through the military, and they – some were able to get their life on track, others not so much. So to be able to see both sides of that is very, very interesting. But now it kind of makes me wonder now, right? Because the Avengers show up when Victor Mancha was at his lowest point. Did they like help him with his addiction? Did they uh, coerce him with more of his addiction? They're like, hey, we'll uh, just find your brother. We give you more vibranium. Like, I mean. Well, so the, the thing complicating that is that like, I don't think he's a, he's told it, he's he's told Nolan about his addiction quote unquote uh-huh. right the remember like the reason he gets hooked on it quote unquote is that his fellow runaway Chase just gives him some vibranium because he thought he's just gonna have him relax and he doesn't know the effect it's gonna have on his android body so it's like for all for all we know like they don't know I think for what we can tell I don't think they know about no I didn't, no one else knows about his addiction his addiction quote unquote. <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting. The, the Avengers, you know, they just need someone to kind of deal with it, and he's the best person. Also, what I love about this scene is the colors, the coloring in this this Victor Mancha flashback. It's all it's all blue except for yellow, which is his jacket, the the sound claw, and Vision's cape. I I really love the the use of color in this scene. Uh, let's right. talk let's let's talk 
about Jordy Beller's colors in general? How would you describe the color palette of the vision? Uh, I would say that it is very warm overall. It's warmed, but it gets cool and dark in certain times. So like that very beginning of the book, we have warm tones, a very local color palette um, to signify yeah, like seeing, a sense of normalcy. Yeah, you're seeing the Virginia neighborhood. Uh, you're, it's, it's autumn, right? So there's a lot of like orange and brown, uh, kind of pale green. But then, right. yeah, when when you get to the actual inside of the house, a vision's house, a lot of lot of see the vision's house. It's very dark. It's very shadowy. It's warm. Would you say it's a muted color palette overall? Uh, yes. I feel like uh, Jordi Belair. She's only using uh certain colors overall when it comes to uh coloring this book. I mean, of course, when it comes to coloring superhero comics, right? Superheroes have like distinct colors they need to uh put with like the thing similar to like you know superman's cape has to be red and so on and so forth that we mentioned in the first episode which i mean of course has to be applied to vision has to be a certain type of green has to be a certain type of red blah 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 but overall i think she did a very well job of uh trying to find that perfect mix between you know expressing local color while at the same time bringing emotion to the scene like especially when we see victor mancha trying to stop vin from going to tell vision of what he saw right like it's a completely dark scene electricity all around and it's it's just very very horrific of what's going on because yes we know in our mind that these are two robots that are fighting but at the same time it's very painful like you see the expression on uh vin's face that uh gabriel vata is able to do very very well i always love it too that like she's her coloring is just perfect for like the mood and tone of this book right it's very subtle it's very kind of focusing on small moments uh kind of a moody book and it's always just so funny to see that when like a book like that and the other, the rest of the Marvel Universe shows up and they're all in their very bright primary colors. Yeah, and it's like they don't belong. It's like they don't, they, they look out of place, which is kind of, you know, true in that, not, not in terms of story, because they serve story purpose, but like, you know, this is a very self-contained book uh, dealing with this introspective and then they get to like their superhero fight. Okay. Uh, I mean, well, of course, right? Because, I mean, it's a superhero book, right? So we've gone through about 11... Because it was a 12-issue miniseries. We've gone through... Well, other than the first fight we see in the first issue against uh, Grim Reaper, right? We've gone through about 10 issues without fighting, right? Without fighting, per se. And then we finally get this big, huge superhero mashup in front of this prison in order to stop Vision from killing Mancha. Because, like, that's what we paid for, right? This is why we pay the, the $4.99 for comic books now. Yep. It's to see that mashup. You get something better for it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, like, the only time I really see, like, bright, bright primary colors is when Vision is talking to Victor Mancha at the art museum. Yes. That is, I would say that is my uh, favorite scene in the entire book. Uh, I think it's mine, too. Uh, and, of course, being meta, they're looking at comic art uh as, as a lot of these books tend to do but yeah it's just like the only time we see just like these bright yellow backgrounds in the panels but that's only because they're looking at the mickey mouse du- it's mickey mouse and donald duck yes it is. Uh, and, and like oh they can actually say it because at this point they got bought by disney 
I mean, yeah, because they got bought by Disney in what, 2010? Yeah, 2010, somewhere in 2011. Yeah, but um, I the reason I say this this uh, scene is my favorite. I I have the digital version. I don't know. Is that is are those two pages next to each other? Yes. Okay. So like, so not just the page. Well, the entire spread since they are next to each other is my favorite because you have these two robots looking. I mean, standing in an art museum, uh, trying to look at art, right? Trying to appreciate art which is supposed to be physically impossible because robots are unable to understand or appreciate the beauty within the art. But the uh, last two panels that Vision says, right, where he says, uh, what does any of it truly means really hits differently because it could be taken as a variety of different ways, right? It could be taken as a life lesson, like what does life truly mean, especially for, you know, synthesized humanoids or I mean, if you want to think about it in a more simplified sense, it's like what does it mean? Like looking at the art because they're robots. They don't understand heart art. Ha ha. He he. Right. Yeah. Or especially this is a, it's a humor. It's a funny comic they're looking at, too. So they don't like they don't humor either. Exactly. Which, I mean, which shouldn't really be the case, right? Because we have Vin's character, right? Who's obsessed with Shakespeare. So now it kind of makes me look back and wonder, is he obsessed with Shakespeare because of the art? Or is he obsessed with Shakespeare because of he's taking everything, every word in the book literal, literally, and is like, mm. just, you know, saying it verbatim now. Well, what is art? really at its core but looking at examining the human condition Ooh. right which is what which is what uh you know what their main goal the androids see a lot of, a lot of this stuff a lot of these conflicts are not new to me because uh i watched last star trek there's, there's a you know data a lot of this stuff they explore explore in his episodes too he actually does art in star trek oh wow so like try to because he's trying to understand what it is to be human so he does a lot of paintings and composes music so a, a lot of very similar themes mm-hmm. uh, about like you know an inhuman creature trying to explore humanity um let's take a let's take a minute we spent a lot of time talking about tom king and the writing let's talk about though the art so how would you describe gabrielle walter's art would you say it's the conventional it looks it's conventional for a superhero book uh, I would not say it's conventional for a superhero book. I'd say it's way more stylized. Uh, like when I think conventionality for a superhero book, I think of artists like uh, Brian Hitch or Brian Hitch, uh, Mike Delato, Mike Delato, Mike, Mike Delato, um, uh, Jason Fabul, Kubert, the Coop, Andy Kubert, Andy, Coo- Andy Kubert, like, Adam like Kubert. The, yeah, this, the epitome of like what a mainstream superhero book looks like. Jim Lee. Jim Lee, right, but I mean, like, uh, since I would say the beginnings of, I don't know, like, 2018 or so, like, the look of superhero books are changing, like, they are starting to look a lot more cartoony, because if you look at, like, very popular books, the popular books have, like, artists like Jorge Jimenez or R.B. Silva, Pepe Pepe Lazara, uh, who else? Uh, a Al, lot of Al, these. Alfonso Fana. Alfonso right? Fana. It's Marvel, right? Best selling book of 2014. And it's exactly. Hard. Right. Pop do it. Way more uh, stylized, right, in terms of its execution 
right? Way more cartoony, I should say, is what mm-hmm. I mean. Not not as realistic as it used to be back in like the early 2000s and 90s with like you know Ultimates or um. So early like for one thing, looking at like Walta, there's it's not like clean lines, clean art. There's a lot of uh, hatching. I like I love his hatching in this book. Uh, you could definitely tell like this is a guy who who I don't know if it's digital. Or if it is, like, it does a really damn good job with hatching that it looks hand. Like, like it looks like it's done with, with like, uh, with ink. Right. With, with a pen. Uh, very kind of, reminds me a little bit of John Rita, John Rita Jr. With his hatching style in, in relations to real books. Kind um, of. I mean, like, where do you, where do you see this hatching? Because uh, uh, I don't, I don't really see most, I don't really see that much hatching. Uh, like, uh, the opening scene with, like, the lines on the, on the black sweaters and splack on the blacks. Mainly it's the blacks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I see, see, like, on the shadows and stuff like that. Yeah, not, they're not solid blacks, right? Like, an easy, like, the easy way to do it. And I think someone who's pressed for time, they would just put up, like, a, like, a gradient, you know, just, like, Adobe Photoshop, you know, click, fill, fill bucket, like, <laughs> bucket paint, uh, black. But he actually takes the time to, like, put some uh striations and whatnot yeah i mean because the idea you can even see like, like it goes, you can even see it goes over, yeah you can even see it goes over the panel border a little bit yes that, that, that's definitely a hand-drawn thing because i have the deluxe version on my on uh comiXology because i'm reading this digitally okay and, yeah i went i went and got the physical books so so from what i see because i have a lot of the uh like behind the scenes on how he does his process so uh, from what it looks like his process is he does a digital sketch, right, mm. and then refines it, and then prints it out to ink, mm. and then prints and then scans it again, and then sends it off for it to be colored and stuff like that. Which I think a lot of a lot more uh, artists do rather than just like drawing straight onto the paper, then onto inks, and then scanning. I think digital print, ink, traditional, and then scan again, and then move on to the next step. But I, I believe it's a lot more faster as well as uh you know you're able to get that traditional look of the ink without having to uh clean up at, without having to clean up as much because uh as i i'm speaking from pure experience here uh erasing pencils and smudges is extremely annoying so if you can get yourself a nice epson 11 by 17 or a nice brother 11 by 17 and, and print out your work in ink Go ahead and do that, and I'm saying that, brother Epson, give us a give us a sponsorship. Let's go. Yeah. I need, I need hashtag, a free printer. Hashtag sponsored. Uh, <laughs> we will gladly sell out for the right <laughs> the right thing. We're not gonna sell out for like payday loans or something like that. No, no, no. I want no payday. I want I want I want printers and I want uh, Cintiqs. That's what I'm here for. I will settle for uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh well, or well, matter of fact, no, you want more than uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. You want the what is it, the KFC console? Yeah. <laughs> so you could play video games and warm your chicken at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about the uh, the narration, right? Uh, the like another very important because uh, we, we mentioned about the lettering is important and the way right. they talk. So Vision and his family, their speech bubbles, they're robots, and their speech bubbles actually reflect that. And this is, I always love it when people, uh, comic artists do that because it's taking advantage of something unique to comics form. And that their speech bubble is yellow and they have like little indentations. They're not a perfect circle. They have little indentations 
the kind of signal that it's electronic. And it becomes another, it comes into play again with the narration uh, because the narration is in kind of red, shades of red, uh, which is a, a, another thing I want to talk about, which I thought was a very interesting choice in that there's narration in the book, but two few things. First of all, it's not clear who's talking until right. there's two reveals of who it is. It's not the vision. It's not the vision. It's not anyone in the family. And two, they talk about it in past tense. Like they're recounting the events as if they've already happened, but for the reader, we're seeing it, we're seeing it as they happen. And they're recounting it to someone else. And the first half, the first book, it turns out to be Agatha Harkness, uh, who's like the, the witch mentor to Scarlet Witch. And then in the second half, the second volume, it turns out to be Scarlet Witch, uh, Wanda Maximoff. So what, I'm kind of curious, what do you think that, why do you think Tonkin chose to do that? They have this narration of, of both, A, these people who are outside of the book initially, but then also talk about it as if they've already happened. Because there's a very curious choice, a very subplot, subplot underlying theme, is that they have this whole thing about the 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 Wonder Gore Mountain and they're eating the bloom, right? The flower. Right. They they have to eat it and kill something to ate it in order to get a vision of the future. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what triggers the Avengers intervention is that Agatha Harkness saw a vision. Uh, a vision of the vision. Uh you know, committing this this murder and going on this villainous breakdown. So kind of what why do you think he decides to include this like kind of prophecy future stuff and this and this choice of narration of of being told to an outside observer by two characters who are not part of the initial story? You know, it never dawned on me. Like this was like completely outside of my mind. Like I was just reading the story to read it and like taking notes here and there. Like uh, thinking about the narration through Agatha Harkins when she's telling the Avengers, and then Scarlet Witch when she's telling uh, Viv at the end. I it just never registered to me as to why uh, Tom King would want to tell a story like that. I and then you asking me this question just it just it, I fell out of my chair. I honestly have no idea how to answer that. Well, I think. Because this is something that kind of been rubbing my my brain for a while. I think you brought up earlier. I think part of the thing is that their destiny, right? Like all these creations, they they had a destiny. All these crea- creations, Vision, Victor Mancha, they were created with a specific role in mind, and then they went against it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of what maybe Tom King is playing at is that this this you know did they have this predetermined fate, right? And because she has this vision of like this thing is going to pass, and like can they change? Can they change that? Right? Can you change the role you're that was assigned to you, that was given to you, that you were created you're created for? Right. Like can you can you rebel against that? Uh. Like, even, yeah. I mean, you talked about the same thing, right? With Vivian, not Vivian, Virginia, right? She was based off Scarlet Witch, and she mm-hmm. destined to repeat the same tragedy that befell Scarlet Witch. Right. Okay, see when you put it like that, look at look at you using your brain, your brain knowledge, letting those oh, synapses yeah. fly off. Yeah, you know that's what happens when you uh you don't go to you went to, you go to a real school instead of art school. <laughs> oh boy, that's why I just I just lost any goodwill I just created in the last thirty seconds. 
Uh, God damn it, Eric. But um, <laughs> but no, that's that's a that's a very that's a very interesting point you've made there. That that idea happening. Um, but there's also one thing I wanted to uh, well, not one thing. There's two things I wanted to bring to your attention. Well, sure. three things. Three things. All right. So the first thing, why was the wizard there during the engagement party for Scarlet Witch and the Vision? <laughs> The the wizard, you mean the 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 fast guy? Yeah, the oh. fast guy who has the blood of the mongoose, yes. Oh, I don't I don't know anything about this character other than uh the Spider Man cartoon where he shows that's, up. That's that's the only that's the only thing I know about him too is the Spider Man cartoon. Uh I'm assuming he's somehow related to them. Um let's look this up right now. Yes, please, because like I was uh, thoroughly confused. Cause I he was because I understand like he was bitten by a cobra. And then he had to get the mongoose blood transferred into him to negate the the cobra venom. Like wow. That's and so somehow that made him super fast. But other than that, I have no idea. Um, I'm sure I'm sure he was there. It's just as a nice. Oh, here we go. Uh, apparently, so the wizard background. He fought World War II with Captain America and Bucky and all those people. Uh, after the war, he apparently. He and his wife, they traveled the world and they went to Wondergore Mountain. What? I can't hear you. He went to some of the characters. Oh, it was thought at first that Scarlet, Scarlet Witch thought the wizard was her at first. Oh. Okay, so he was a fake dad. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think that makes sense. Um, I mean, not. I mean, obviously it makes sense because that was that's continuity. That's way before our time. But also apparently that they weren't they were not intended sorry mission quicksilver were not intended to be mutants. They were intended to be I think they were actually supposed to be like children of the wizard. And then and then and then they later retcon into No, you're children of Magneto. You're mutants. And then later that got retcon again. You're high evolutionary creations. You were just made to look like mutants. Yeah, which would it make sense because Scarlet because Quicksilver lost his powers on M Day and blah blah blah. Well, okay. of course it makes no sense. It's just a corporate thing. And then, like I said, I would not. I would bet good money that in the next couple of years they'll go back to being mutants. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, let's see. Okay, so that's one thing, right? The next thing was the during the fight scene, right? Especially the the double pla- the double page splash of like Vision versus the army. And then in the background, you see Simon Williams playing in a movie called the, what is it, the Omega some crap. The Omega Man, I think. Yes. I think it's a reference. I think it's a reference to his other book, his Omega Man. Which is, which is hilarious. And then... Uh, Although what, I think Omega Man is actually a Marvel character. Omega Man? I've, yeah. I've never heard I, of that. I, I recalled some kind of Marvel comic. Yeah, there we go. Let me, let me double check. Uh, we did very... A lot of you can tell we did a lot of research for Omega the Unknown. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Omega the Unknown. That's uh, it's a Marvel book. Uh, it got relaunched a few years ago, which is how I know about it. Which is uh, what I wanted to, because I heard it was pretty good. Interesting. By, yeah, Feral, Feral, Depo Hell did the art. Um, but I, I don't know if Tom King that was Tom. I don't know if Tom King was trying to do that or just plugging in his his Omega Omega Man. Sorry, Simons. Yeah, that that sounds more that sounds more accurate. And then that scene where, cause like, uh, it's very funny though. 
because like this idea of you know creating a family family sticks together right green uh, i was gonna say green arrow uh grim reaper shows up right but we never see simon except for within flashbacks and that movie because even at the point where i think he crashes through the movie theater um you hear the line of what what it's i don't know my notes disappeared uh Something uh, along the lines like, "Listen to me, I can save you." That's pretty much what he said. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a cheesy superhero line, and that's the part of the movie he, he broke in on. Yeah, which was uh, which was pretty funny. I thought I was like, "Ha, huh, look at that tongue in cheek." I mean, and then, I don't, I I'm not super well read on Simon Williams Vision stuff, so I don't know how he feels about. I don't even know if Simon Williams even likes Division, so. I don't know either. That's a very good question. And like, I try to consider what would you could in terms of a familiar relationship, what would you consider Simon Williams? He's he's an android based off his brain patterns. It's not really a, it's not really a father. Not really. A, they're, they're more like brothers who. Think I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For, for all we know, it could also just be like some editorial thing. Like maybe he was being used as some other storyline. I guess. But like nobody uses Simon Williams anymore. Like he's not an Avengers. He went crazy, did the whole Avengers team thing. Yeah, that's the last time I've read the, the short-lived Avengers. Yeah, well, the last time I I've read him was uh Uncanny Avengers, uh, uh Rick Remainder's Uncanny Avengers, and Rogue was able to absorb him like entirety, so he lived in her body. Oh right, he's a energy. I, yeah, he's made of ionic energy. Yeah, see, see, like, like we talked about, like dark psychological thriller horror book, and, just, and then you got people made of like ionic energy, and yeah, man, I, that's why I love, that's why, why I love, vision, why I love superhero comics, are just absurdities compounded with realistic pathos. Right. Okay. So now my final question to you is. And reading Tom King's work, right? Because you've read Visions, Mr. Miracle. Um, have you read Some, anything else from him? Uh, good chunk of his Batman run. Good chunk. Okay. So Batman, things of that nature, right? Uh, do you feel like he's become a one-trick pony? Uh, I wouldn't say a one-trick pony, necessarily. Um, if anything, that's probably closer to like Jeff Lowe, because he uses literally the same story. Like, it's, there's a mystery villain... There's false reveals, and then it turns out this, this is like and I shovel all twist of like this character. This doesn't make any sense. No, I think it's more of like uh, I I was reading that there's some like similar accusations from his detractors. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more of just like there's just common themes that he explores in all his books, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think is you know every every author every artist is always going to bring certain things that resonate with them. Uh, and all their works. Right. Um, but I think he explores them from different enough angles and different enough takes on them. Right. Like his Tom is like Mr. Miracle and which we'll talk about next time. Uh, it's a lot of similar things, but he's also exploring very different uh, approaches and different things that are unique to that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Batman. I actually wasn't a big fan of it at first because it was also more. So it's hitting on the same things, but it's also more superhero. It reads more like a conventional superhero book at times. Right. Um, and then, of course, it gets to 
what I consider to be the, the greatest comic, superhero comic of all time, which is Date Night. Date Night. We Batman. should do an episode on Date Night. Date Night. Well, we can't do an entire episode. On, on yes, it. we can. We have the power now. Just 11 <laughs> minutes on Date Night. Yeah. So for those, for those who don't know, uh, Date Night, two issues of Tom King's Batman run. It's Batman and Catwoman go on a double date with Superman and Lois. Yes. And that's it. They don't they don't fight any supervillains. The Justice League doesn't show up. They don't even save people from a burning building. They oh, just wait, no. There's, there's a plot twist, though. It's superhero night at the carnival they go to, so they switch <laughs> costumes with each other. Yeah. So, yeah, Superman has to wear Batman's costume and vice versa. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they just they just talk about their relationship stuff, and it's great. It's it's the it's the Batman-Superman book we deserve. Uh, <laughs> instead of... It's the, not the, it's not the one we need, but it's the one we deserve. Uh, Anyways, uh, we're coming up like at an hour, a little over an hour. Uh, any final thoughts on the vision? Uh, good book. Go ahead and buy it from your local comic book store, and don't go to Barnes and Nobles. Yes, definitely don't go to Barnes and Nobles because among other things, they sell COVID denier books. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, yeah, and also, uh, you know, big influence on WandaVision. So if you yes. want to be cool, it would be cool for all the casual Marvel people to say, well, I saw this from, the, from Tom King's Division. Either by the time this drops, it will probably be almost over, I think, <laughs> the show. No, it wouldn't, because uh, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be doing the same thing as The Mandalorian. So like eight episodes coming out weekly. So yeah, by the but, time this like, comes out, like this, this is like it's going to be like the seventh episode. Yeah, by the, yeah this is, by the time this comes out, it's gonna be like episode seven or six. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be essentially almost done. Well, uh, whatever, whatever. Still, like become become the king of your friends. Read the vision so you can lord it over them. Yep, yep. And with that note, well, exulting superiority, keeping <laughs> superiority. Uh, I'm Eric Wong. All right, I'm Phil Fleming, and uh, let's see. Oh, and you've been listening to Caillou, because I just heard it got canceled on PBS. <laughs> after, after 20 years. Uh, oh, I've heard that apparently a lot of people are glad, because apparently it's not very good. Yes, it's, Caillou is a very is a very terrible child who just does very whiny things. All right, there you go. Bonus episode, Caillou Review. <laughs> never, I've never watched it. Was a sock shit about Caillou. Right. Uh, I used to watch it with my niece uh, growing up, so <laughs> we will talk about Caillou at some other point in time then. All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Now for the vision. Stay for Caillou. Yes. You bastard. Why are you torturing me like this? Why? What is this anyway? Some kind of goddamn comic book? What do you want from us?